Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Studio on iHeartRadio. My name is Jordan Runtog, but enough about me. My guest today is one of the most beloved singer-songwriters of all time. For over half a century, his music has served as the soundtrack for growing up and leaving home in pursuit of self-discovery and inner truth. Whether performed by himself or a host of artists, including Dolly Parton, Rod Stewart, Patti LaBelle, or Linda Ronstadt, Songs like Peace Train, Moon Shadow, The First Cut is the Deepest, and Wild World all bear his trademark sincerity and spiritual curiosity. He began his career as a swinging London teen idol, notching Baroque pop hits like Matthew and Son and Here Comes My Baby. The sophisticated melodies quickly earned him a reputation as one of the most precocious minds in music. And hey, his handsome Mediterranean features looked good on Teen Beat magazines too. For a time, he ran with the likes of Jimi Hendrix and the Walker Brothers, but the hard-living rock and roll lifestyle soon caught up with him. After a bout of tuberculosis landed him in the hospital, he began to embrace a more stripped-down sound and lifestyle. He emerged at the dawn of the 70s as a folk-tinged troubadour, equal parts mature and mischievous, beguiling fans with his musical missives from his metaphysical journey. It made him a global superstar, yet his gargantuan material success left him with more questions than answers in the search for inner fulfillment. A near-death experience while swimming in the Pacific precipitated a spiritual awakening, which led him to adopt the Islamic faith in 1977. 
For many years, he rejected the entertainment industry and the songs that he'd used to touch so many. Taking the name Yusuf Islam, he sold his guitars and dedicated the next three decades to theological study and charity work. The new millennium marked a gradual reconciliation with both Western music and his own legacy. He's released four albums of new Western music, and in 2020 recorded a reimagined version of his breakthrough 1970 album, Tea for the Tillerman. Now he's overseeing a massive reissue project. He's most recently revisited 1971's Teaser and the Firecat with a mammoth four-disc box set featuring unreleased tracks, unheard demos, and rare live performances. It'll be followed on February 22nd with the soundtrack to Hal Ashby's coming-of-age cult film Harold and Maude, which is being made widely available for the first time, complete with nine songs and dialogue from the movie. Many fans thought they'd never see the day when he'd return to the songs they loved so well. And it's been a joyous homecoming for all concerned. I'm so happy to welcome to the show Yusuf Cat Stevens. Oh my goodness. I mean, I've, I've so many things I want to ask you about, but I guess just to start, Caesar and the Firecat was released in 1971 at a very pivotal point in your journey. Can you take me back to that time? I mean, where were you at personally and spiritually in 1971? Uh, well, Personally, I was, um, you know, engaged, very engaged with my music. Um, on one level, um, that was the the outward, you know, sort of, if you like, existence. Um, but but within me, I'd already started uh, my spiritual journey, you know, sometime back after I'd recovered from tuberculosis, and um, that was in 1969. And... Uh, and so I was also on a very, uh, you know, deep search for um, for meaning, and and so um, and that of course came out very, very, um, you know, uh, clearly in my music and in my lyrics. Um, you could you could see them uh, all, all the thoughts that I had and all all the fears and all the hopes, um, you know, all transparent within my music. I mean, this in 1971 was just after T for the Tillerman went, you know, completely global and must have changed your life immeasurably. I mean, you, you had success in England in 1967, but now you've gone from playing clubs like the Gaslight in Greenwich Village to playing Carnegie Hall. What was your relationship like to this, this new level of fame at that time? Was it thrilling? Was it unnerving? Or was it all the above? Um, well, I'd reached a certain plateau and, you know, I, I don't see that there was anything hindering me from going even further you know that was that was what I, that was the kind of state of mind I was in um T for the Tillerman was done you know but there was a high level of expectation for the next album and of course most most of my concentration went into my songs you know my, my um you know the, the the touring was kind of less important for me uh, but it was important to kind of connect. But at the same time, what I was really doing was was writing and recording. That was my world. And then we revealed it, you know, during um, during the concerts and during the tours. So, yeah, I, I kind of I didn't want to repeat Tillerman. In a way, I could never do that. And and um, um, you know, I had to. Uh, I still had a lot of songs left over because during my convalescence after the hospital, I was writing so many songs. I had about 25 songs to, 
to kind of fill out more or less three albums, you know, from the very beginning. Um, some weren't finished, you know, some needed fixing and so, but some I needed to write more. So that, that's, that was my whole, you know, life at that time. It was, I was very um, excited by the fact that people were really listening to me and, and I had an audience, you know, and, that, and that's always what I think drives you, you know. I mean, if, you, if you're alone and you're in the desert and nobody's listening, you know, why sing another song? I, that, that was exactly what I was actually going to ask you. I'm always, this question is going to completely give away the fact that I've never written a song in my life. I'm so curious for people who are, are, are blessed with the ability to write music, what compels them to do it? Is it a desire to connect with other people or is it to get something out of you? And if you, you know, would you write the same number of songs if you were alone on a desert island? But it sounds like for you, it's more for, uh, for connecting. Um, it is, it is. It's a, a, well, first of all, you know, you go back to the tradition and you see that there are these troubadours, you know, troubadours <laughs> kind of like, they entertain people, they entertain the king, you know, and you better get it right, you know, otherwise you <laughs> chop. So, um, so, and not only that, but it was a very attractive uh, vocation, you know, so definitely you attracted a lot of female attention. And that was good too, you know, you could see the image of the troubadour singing up to the balcony and she's kind of leaning over so there's that kind of romantic side to which was like the i suppose one of my first incentives um but not just that i loved music i mean i loved music problem was um i couldn't really sing other people's songs it took too long to learn like the chords and i was still kind of getting my way and finding my way um with the guitar and then the lyrics, so, you know, I just started writing my own and I felt I had a lot of, a lot of things and a kind of a different and a new, unique angle to perhaps, um, you know, to, to convey. Uh, so that's why I started writing songs. And it was because I did have my first audience was, of course, my family. And uh, my mother was my number one fan, you know, and you really need that encouragement um, in the beginning, for sure. If, if, if I listened to my brother, I would not be, you know, the person I was because he's, he just didn't have any confidence. He said, go back to art, you know. So, because um, I was an artist originally, I wanted to be an artist. So, uh, so it was that confidence I was getting from my mother and from my sister. And then my brother joined in, you know. Um, so, so when you start rolling and then you find that people actually like your, your music and, and, you know, and when... Um, I started writing songs, first of all, and I was hoping to be a songwriter before I was thinking about singing my songs myself, you know, becoming a, a, a you know, a sort of a, a protege of, of the pop music business. I, I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to write songs. Um, but then not everybody could get around my lyrics and around my style of, you know, music. It was, it was slightly odd and uh, angular, and uh, some of the timings were, like, weird. So therefore, I had to kind of sing them myself. And, but when people did sing my songs, I was lucky to get a few hits in the very early stages because Here Comes My Baby was a song which um, was kind of, I, I signed it over to this, my, one of my first publishers and they got it, you know, um, to the tremolos and they had a massive hit in the, in the States with that. So, I, you know, that really gave me confidence. And, and then, of course, it was all rolling on from there. 
A few years back, you released what I, I think was the first song you ever wrote, Mighty Peace, on the album Laughing Apple. And it's just so astonishing to me to think that that was your first song. And yet, I mean, lyrically, it's so sophisticated, and there's so many themes on it that you touch on throughout your work. It's just amazing that, that a song, Mighty Peace, was your starting point. When you first began writing songs, was there a specific message that you, in your mind that you wanted to, to get across? Um, uh, you know, I think I wrote a song which kind of explained it um, on the album called Izitza. And, and the song is called I Never Wanted to Be a Star. Well, that wasn't quite true. But, you know, um, <laughs> there was that instinct to want to be a, a star and a superstar. Why not? But, um, but no, this, the lyrics say, you know, I never wanted to be a star, tongue-in-cheek. Um, I only wanted a little bit of love so I could put a little love in my heart. And that's kind of like, actually, it was the truth of the matter was, you know, that um, there is a kind of a, um, a relationship, a loving relationship between the singer and the, lis and, and the listener, whoever's, you know, enjoying the music at the time. Um, and so, um, so I think that um, I was looking for appreciation, for acknowledgement, for recognition, and... Um, and the things I had to say were interesting for a lot of people because I, as I said, I, I came from a slightly diverse background and, uh, and uh, a unique background. When, when you're writing, do you get more inspiration looking outward or looking inward? Well, I think both are important, but of course, outwardly, um, you still perceive the world through your inner prism you know, of, of, of the self. You, you see it through this glass, which we call the soul, you know. And, and, um, and if you are a little bit empty in that department, then you might want to kind of, you may want to go for the world a little bit more, you know. And, and so there's this kind of balance between, you know, um, trying to achieve something outwardly, but really, are you, are you achieving it? Is it really making you happy? All those questions, you know, have to be asked, and and of course uh, they're not quite answered. But when when you want to, um, when you analyze it, I mean, listening to, to Teaser and the Firecat, I mean, there's there's so much wisdom on that album, and it's incredible to think you were only what 22, 23 when you wrote about these philosophical questions that you're grappling with. Listening back to it now, for you, with with so much more life experience. Are you impressed in a way, or are there feel, things that you feel you got right, or I guess on the flip side, any things you feel you got wrong on uh, on some of the lyrics on on, on the album? Uh, I think I got a lot of things kind of out of me, and, and I think that mm. was the most important thing was was to get it out to break out uh, of my kind of shell because you know I, I was a little bit of an introvert. Uh, I think you have to be in a way an artist wants to express himself, he can't do it any other way than through his art. And I think that was it. Um, so I wanted to, um, to express, and I did. You know, my words became very, very uh, translucent, and you could, you could see exactly who I was. I wore my heart on my sleeve, as they say. You know, so that, um, and, and there was nowhere else to hide uh, when I was writing my songs. I didn't really want to hide anyway. So it was very frank. But at the same time, there was this inspiration which came, which... I, I don't feel as if I'm totally responsible for that because there were so many great things going on at the time. Anyway, you know, music was at a certain peak. Um, of course, Beatles had broken up and all that, but 
there was this new fusion, a new wave of, of inspiration, which I think was taking place in the, in the 70s. And I happened to sort of, you know, ride that wave. Yeah. I have to ask, because it's, it's been on my mind lately, and we were, we were talking about this before you hopped on the call. Have you been watching the, uh, the Beatles Get Back documentary? I know they meant a lot to you as a band. I was curious what you thought of that. Well, I haven't seen the, the uh, Beatles Get Back yet, but I kind of more or less know what, what, it, what it would be. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see it, actually, but um, I haven't seen it yet. Um, but the Beatles were, of course, you know, they were the, they were the um, pioneers for us. Um, the fact that they, you know, came from like uh, Liverpool, you know, and they and they made it um, in, in such a way to such a degree that everybody in the world knew them. Um, maybe might be a few pockets in Africa or somewhere else in the <laughs> desert that may not, but most of the world knew John, Paul, George, and Ringo. I think I got that right in the right order. But anyway, um, they were so influential and they never stood still. I think that I learned some, something from that. Um, they were not satisfied uh, and they kept on reaching further. And I think that also inspired me to do the same. You know, now John also was, you know, a promoter of, uh, of peace. You know, that was a big inspiration. George was a promoter of uh, the spiritual path, you know, and that was very influential. So they really did have an impact. I mean, you could see that on, I mean, obviously the, the, the most obvious uh, corollary would be uh, Imagine to Peace Train came out in the same year and uh, are both uh, imagining and hoping for a world, uh, you know, a, a brighter future. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was so you get to a point when, um, you know, souls are a little bit like uh, mirrors of each other. And, and definitely that was one aspect of, of Lennon's, um, you know, dream that I enjoyed as well and, and I took part in. And um, so imagine, also it has a very interesting, you know, angle for for this for the atheist, it may be a kind of proof that, you know, Lennon didn't believe in God, but then you got him singing about God in another place on another track. Um, yeah, still questioning, um, but I don't think he had a doubt about the existence of God. It was just that maybe Yoko had a little bit more influence in that song than, than perhaps um, <laughs> he did in that particular department. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. 
It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Over the years, when when asked to, to name a, a song of yours that's meant the most to you or has really stuck with you, you've repeatedly mentioned The Wind. And I wanted to ask you, what was it about that song? What is it about that song that continues to make it so powerful for you? Uh, because it was one of those which um, arrived without effort uh, and reflected perfectly, you know, my position in on the path at that moment and in fact it kind of depicts more or less my position today because you know I'm still trying to find out what God wants or what God knows and I don't know it and you know God does so it's it's a matter of finding out um, you know what's in store for you but having trust um, that you've made a certain decision to 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 leave bad things behind you know so I, I say in that song you know, I'm not going to make the same mistakes. Never, never, never. That, that's not quite true because you can't stop making mistakes. But it's it's the wish to get over and get past those mistakes that I think uh, that song represents. Uh, and it's still me, uh, and you know, and it's the most accurate, um, I, I would say, depiction of my um, of my spirit. There was. Uh... An interview you gave recently where you said something, a, a phrase or an expression I'd never heard, but it's it stuck with me the last few days. Uh, coincidence is the way that God keeps himself anonymous. And I haven't been able to get it out of my mind. I wanted to ask you more about that. Do you believe that we choose our path or is there a destiny, some kind of preordained? That is the very, I was almost impossible question um, because what I've learned and what I have learned through through reading and finally from 
reading the Quran, uh, there is a there is a, a, an acceptance that God must know, must know everything if He's God. Has to. So, but that doesn't stop us, um, or from doesn't stop God from giving us the ability, you know, to choose our destiny, and we're going to choose probably what we're going to choose, and that's like. Uh, I've written I've written a song about that. You know, um, you know the road you chose is the one. You know, you chose. I can't I can't remember the lyrics exactly, but it's something like that. So, you you meet your own destiny with your own volition. But it's kind of like waiting for you. But if you you wouldn't you don't want to be a fatalist. We're not fatalists. We believe that change is possible. If you don't think that then nothing can ever happen in your life that would surprise you. You're just at the mer- you're a cork on the ocean. You're just at the mercy of, you know, you got to take take control of whatever was in you, I suppose. Yeah, well certain times, you know, there are there are certain divine interventions which you, you need that. I mean, you know, like uh, you know, Moses couldn't have, you know, parted the waves by himself. Um and so there was this it was waiting for him. It was waiting for that moment, and it had to be him, and it had to be that staff. You know, it's all these things come together in in God's most perfect universe. You had a, a very uh, this was this was not on my list of questions. You had a very special moment uh, in in the ocean yourself, in the water. I know that was a very crucial moment in in your life. Yeah, for sure. That was like the uh, <clears throat> moment of reckoning. What it was the uh, it was the time when I. I, I Again, realized my own frailty and weakness, inability to to actually save myself, you know, and therefore you put yourself in the hands of God and that and that was it. And I was home and dry. Then I had to work out what did it mean, you know. <laughs> and, and and then it came, you know, the gift which my brother gave me after that of the Quran, which then opened up all the um, all the pages of understanding which I ever wanted. Of course, that was before political Islam ever rose its head in Iran or all the other places. Um, and this was a very quiet time on the, on the spiritual front. Yeah. I mean, you, you see this, this searching in, in so many of your songs. I mean, it's, it's just all throughout this album. What was your working relationship like with, with Paul Samuel Smith? Uh, how did he assist in, in shaping these songs and, and giving voice to these, you know, these, these textures? Uh, well, it was, I think, he he probably saw me like some kind of tornado. Um, I, I had all this kind of amazing energy, which he had to put into, you know, order and uh, on tracks and make it, you know, um, listenable. And he did. He he had that calmness about him, which, which was very, very complimentary to me. Um, you know, because if he was like, Phil Spector, you know, we wouldn't have worked together. <laughs> it would be impossible. <laughs> I'd be pointing a gun at me all the time. So, um, no, so, uh, so Paul was very, very gentle, and and he just wanted me to be in the moment. He just arranged the studio in that way. And he brought along these great musicians, which I never knew before, you know, so it was all Paul's choosing, like bringing um, Alan Davis on board and Harvey Burns, you know, uh, John Ryan, 
and Pete, Peter Gabriel, you know, he came and played flute once. Um, but it was really Alan Davis, I think, who, who, who did the most uh, in, in kind of helping me. Um, I, I wasn't such a great guitar player, but he was so much better than me. And he filled in those little gaps so beautifully. So, you know, it, it was made in heaven, sort of. I love hearing how you, you, you converse together musically, you and Alan. I think it, it, it's so beautiful, and the harmony is just always there. And even in, I've seen clips of you playing relatively recent concerts, pre-COVID concerts, obviously, and, it, and it's still there. It's really beautiful to hear. Yeah, Alan's a big mate of mine, and uh, I love him. I mean, this uh, Teaser and the Firecat, I feel like more so even than Tillerman, has so many unique and great sounds and textures. I mean, there's the Calypso sounds of Tuesday's Dead, and the influence of your, your Greek heritage really comes through uh, with the bazooki players on, on Ruby Love, uh, which, what, is that in seven, eight times? Something like that, an interesting time signature. Uh, were you surrounded by that kind of music growing up? Was that really something that takes you back to, to Shaftesbury Avenue? Yes, it was. It was part of Dad's, you know, community, um, you know, the Greek Cypriot community in London. I mean, he was a pretty eminent, you know, character in amongst the community. And um, there were weddings going on all the time, so he'd be invited, dragged along, actually, you know, to these <laughs> weddings. And uh, But, interestingly, um, my brother, who because my father had a marriage, he was married before my mother, um, and I had an elder half-brother. And he, George... Uh, you know, played bazooki. And so when I went to some of the weddings, it was like George, my brother, who was playing there, you know, with another group of people, um, not a lot of Greeks. And um, and he played bazooki as well as um, violin as well. So that all became, you know, part of the, what informed uh, my, my soundtrack, the soundtrack to my life. Um, but it was broader than that because we lived in the West End and, you know, so... You know, there'd be like a, a, a Spanish, you know, um, show coming on with a, with a dancer called Antonio, and I love Spanish music. And and then there was a South African one, and you know, and then there was the clubs. There was the Blue Beat, which was happening right deep down. Some of these basement clubs. I mean, I was just soaking it all up. So um, yeah, Calypso was before Blue Beat. You know, it was kind of like the. Uh, the acceptable face of um, Jamaica. Bluebeat was got a little bit darker. I was going to say, I mean, I, I feel like it, listening to when you uh, revisited uh, Tillerman, so many of the songs that, that you did, like Longer Boats and, and a number of others, took on a, a much bluesier R&B edge. And you can even hear it on the version of, 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 of Bitter Blue, your new version of Bitter Blue a bit too. Uh, what led you to, to revisit those kind of more R&B bluesy sounds? Was it growing up with, you know, Alexis Corner and Cyril Davis and, and John Mayall in, in London, like all that kind of influence coming through? Wow, you, you just mentioned some of the greatest. I mean, to be honest, Cyril Davis, oh my God. You know, I, I bought his record. It was like, um, it was one of the first records I bought along with Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and Little Richard, and, you know, but it was all that kind of R&B. That's what I, I was interested in. Elvis, that was my sister's, you know, idea um, of music. It wasn't necessarily my... He was trying to imitate the real thing, you know, that's, what I, that's the way I saw it. Anyway, but it was... Um, R&B was just so... It had the groove. It had the, a reality, um, and, and a, you know, it was the beat as well. You know, it was something really extraordinary about it. I, I loved your uh, your 
your revisiting of Tillerman. I love your new version of, of Bitter Blue. What led you to, to choose that song uh, on, on this record to, uh, to, to reimagine? Well, I'd heard a group called um, Green Day, and, and one of their songs called Know the Enemy. I was listening to that, I said, hang on, that sounds a little bit like Bitter Blue. And I thought, um, well, but that didn't make me want to go to the solicitor and sort of start, you know, claiming my rights. I just, I said, well, maybe I'll revisit this one as well. So I did. When we were in the studio, I think, doing Laughing Apple, uh, we were in Brussels. And there was a moment where I kind of brought it out. You know, I'd been trying this slower version, you know, and, um, but the riff is so good. It stands up at whatever tempo you put it, you know. So, I'm, And, of course, it's a little bit darker, but I, I loved that song. It was a great song. I think it was in the, the book that accompanies the box set. I think it was Alan Davis who said, yeah, whenever, whenever uh, he'd start playing that song, all the roadies would groan because it meant snap strings snap and broken strings, fingernails. Strings, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That is so true. I, you know, I, as I said, I never really learned how to play guitar. I, I, I politely beg to disagree, but uh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> no, I mean, maybe it was when I was when I was on stage. I got a little bit excited. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I mean, the, the set has so many wonderful moments and, and demos. I was really fascinated by uh, the day they make me czar about Alexei, the child of Nicholas II, the, the czar who was murdered by the uh, the Bolsheviks in, in 1918. Um, this was from a musical you were writing, right? That was also where Father and Son from Tillerman came from. Do I have that right? True. Um, I wrote about 10, maybe 11, 12, I can't remember. Um, songs for, for, for the musical. And I was deep into, you know, writing that with, with um, an author called Nigel Hawthorne. He's also, a, he was a comedian, you know, an actor. Yeah. Um, Madness and, of um, King George. Yeah, there we are. And um, so anyway, we were writing that and I was writing all these songs and Father and Son was one. Um, the Day They Make Me Czar. I love that little song. I love it. Um, it's kind of got that Russian tilt which, again, I'm talking about, you know, my influences. Um, and I, I think Maybe You're Right, Maybe You're Wrong was also another song from from the musical. Would you ever revisit that? It's such a fascinating... I mean, the story, just historically, is so interesting to me. And all the songs for it are... are all the ones I've heard are absolutely gorgeous. Would you ever revisit that kind of thing? Yeah, we're still trying to find a stage that's big enough to hold the Russian Revolution. That's the only <laughs> problem we're actually... <laughs> Having at the moment, but uh, I would I would love to actually. I've been thinking about that, and um, you know there are so many projects I'd love to just revisit. For instance, another one um, called Numbers. It, it was a whole story which which went with that album, and a book to go with it. And <clears throat> so I've got that to do as well. There's a, quite a few things lined up in the back. Wow! I mean, you see, just in this. Teaser box set, all the different ways that you, you express yourself, not just through music, but visually. I know you mentioned earlier that you initially were, were a visual artist. And, and, you know, for those who don't know, you've done, I think, the, the majority of your album colors with uh, water or album covers with watercolor. Um, I loved that the, uh, the cartoon with Spike Milligan's narration is now available. Uh, for uh, for Moonshadow is now on this this box set. How how did that come to be? I just think the, the visuals I, I feel like need to be given more praise. I just I can't, I think they're absolutely stunning. They are so warm. They are so funny. They are so vibrant. I just I, I can't get enough of of the uh, the graphics you created for this. Well, that was um, that was one of the uh, great. Uh, opportunities that I had, you know, with, with Island Records was to paint my own, you know, covers. Uh, that was Chris Blackwell who suggested that I do that. And um, and, and that's where it began. You know, Mona Bonjackham was like, you know, the dustbin. And then there was Tea for the Tillerman. And then there was Moon, you know, the moon side. So we had the sun, which was the Tillerman, and you had the moon, which was Teas and the Firecats. You had night and day. It was kind of complimentary. Um, and then... I don't know how I got onto this, but I started drawing a little story about, you know, Teaser and, and the Fallen Moon. And um, I completed it. And, you know, my manager then got the, the, the book published. And then we looked around for someone to, to narrate it. And the 
and Spike Milligan. I mean, he's one of my favourites. He was like the goons, you know. The Beatles love the goons. <laughs> you just look at Hard Day's Night and you, you get that. Um, so, um, and he did. He, he came along and did it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it was great how it all happened. However, when it comes to the actual animation, I'm a bit more critical because I don't think that Teaser kept his personality throughout the film. His face started looking like almost like his cousin. You know, it wasn't <laughs> quite, and the profile wasn't quite right. So because I was an artist, um, I had to hand this over to the animators and I never quite, I was never quite satisfied with the outcome. But, um, you know, it's still a great piece of art. Oh, it's beautiful. I were you there in the uh, in the studio when he was doing the? Did you get him to do Blue Bottle or uh, or Crun or Blood Knock or somebody? <laughs> yeah, he did. It, he did it in one take. You can imagine, you know, one take, and uh, it's iconic. You know, even to oh. this day, I still mimic it every now and again. <laughs> oh, I love him. Like like the it's the um, it's the little whispering owl. I love that bit where the owls are whispering to each other. I can't wait for more people to hear this. It's going to be it's one of the many gems that are that are in this set and um and I I also loved hearing some of the rehearsal takes with uh Rick Wakeman of uh Morning is Broken. Uh just an incre- incredible um modern hymnal. Well, it's adapted from a hymn. Uh can you tell me more about the genesis of that song? I just think it is absolutely astonishing piece of work. Well, <clears throat> it wasn't mine, obviously. That's the first thing and um I was as I said, I had quite a few songs sort of already half written, written, um, but I needed to have a few more to, to choose from uh, for, the, for the teaser. And um, so that came from a visit to a bookshop in the religious department, and um, I picked out a hymn book. Uh, I thought I'm going to get a bit of inspiration from this because, you know, I used to sing hymns at my Catholic school uh, for six years, you know, so I was, uh, I was definitely... Um, Okay with that. So I opened the book when I took it home and started working on trying to decipher what the melodies were because I couldn't read music very well. I had to do it very, very slowly with one finger. And when I worked out the melody of Morning is Broken, I just said, oh, this is incredible. Um, I loved it. And uh, from that moment, you know, it became part of my, um, one of the songs I wanted to record. When we got into the studio, uh, there were there were sort of different, you know, we wanted to look for something slightly different. Every song has its own universe. So in other words, I wanted to do other than just an ordinary acoustic, which I'd done on the demo. Rick was around and we invited him in. And then we just gave him this like beginning bit and bit of middle there and another bit there and a bit at the end. And he just came in and did this incredibly heavenly um, part which now resounds today throughout the world and, you know, is associated with me. Of course, it was Rick who was playing that, um, but I chose the song. I found the song. It's just, I mean, hearing Morning is Broken and juxtaposing it with something like Matthew and Son or, or Here Comes My Baby from just, what, four years earlier. I mean, those are incredible songs too, but just the growth, the tremendous amount of growth that you went through in such a short amount of time, just a few years, it, it is really remarkable it's just something that i gotta know it's not really a, a question but it's just something i want to recognize that is something that continues to to blow me away is that the, your growth musically and spiritually in such a short period of time yeah things did happen very fast you know it's, it's surprising and you know for me today to go back and think about it and uh 
how many things happened within that short space of time. It's, it's kind of amazing, miraculous, you know. I was there. You're going to laugh at me for this question, but it's something I'm genuinely curious about. Are you superstitious at all when you're writing a song? Do you ever think, oh, I need to use, this is my lucky guitar, or I need to, if I don't, I, 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 I write better in the morning, or I write better in the evening, or I write better in this room. Or, are, are there any um, habits, is maybe not quite the right word, but any little sort of superstitions or, or talismans that you hold on to that you write that, that really are kind of, you know, Dumbo has his feather, and then you have something that, uh, you know, something that you hold to when you're writing. Mm, not really. I think the the consistent or the um, the constant in my songwriting is always to look for what hasn't been done yet or what hasn't been written. Mm. And so, and so when I pick when I pick up an, an old guitar, I kind of well, I've been here before. I've played this chord so many times. When I get another guitar, that's an opportunity to hear a new vibe. I go, whoa. C sounds new, you know, and then I might, and it'll inspire me. So instruments themselves carry a kind of an aura and, and, and a, a characteristic, which can then lend itself to, to, to helping you to write the song which needs to come out of that instrument. Um, you know, when you've got like, um, I mean, I could, I could write all day long if I didn't have other things to do, but you just have to sit down on the Yamaha and, you know, you, you write anything. Uh, today, you've got it all at your fingertips. <laughs> I mean, it's easy if it's you. I feel like that is clearly something that is a, a tremendous gift of yours, and that's something that that the rest of us, or I won't speak for everybody else, something that I personally struggle with being able to actually, uh, you know, I, I may know all the chords and the notes, but to actually create something from inside of me, I think, is is far more difficult to do, and it's something that that you do so so gracefully and, and beautifully um, in a way that is uh, incredibly inspiring. Thank you. Well, uh, as I said, it's, it's what I have to, you know, it's what I do and what I did, what I do. And, um, you know, and, and, and I think it's, um, again, it's a gift. I don't, you know, when you look at a child growing up, you know, there'll be certain characteristics to that child that people say, look at the way he's holding that pencil. Isn't that? Good, you know, and but it's already there. It's in the DNA somehow. Um, you, you were talking about destiny, you know. So I was just kind of recapping on that on that issue. That's all. I mean, obviously, the you know the one of the main uh, uh, hallmarks of this album is uh, is Peace Train. Um, as you've said on numerous occasions, the Peace Train remains delayed. Uh, is it frustrating at all for you to sing that song? 50 years later now and see that, that we still have a bit of a long way to go as a planet before we reach anything approaching the ideals outlined in that song? Uh, no, I'm, I mean, the, the whole reason I wrote the song was because I'm an optimist and um, that doesn't change. You know, the fact that the peace train isn't here yet. In fact, peace train has got to keep rolling its way towards us because that's that's the nature of life. You know, it's it's... It's when this is no permanent um, paradise. This is not permanent, you know. So, in other words, there is a movement towards it, towards something that is that is permanent, um, but it may not be of this world. And I think that's kind of like what what I mean, or what 
I can interpret it to mean, you know, and look, looking back. Um, today, you know, like you, you can talk about peace, you know, and then you look at certain area of the world and say, that's where we've got a concert. But actually, look over here, there's like millions of starving people. Well, I mean, come on, that's important too. How are you going to get these people to experience peace, you know, when they've got no, nothing to eat and nothing to feed their children? So it's a massive question. It's all connected to so many other issues. Uh, peace is a very complex issue. But, uh, you know, as, as far as a dreamer is concerned, we can't stop dreaming about it. There's a, a beautiful quote you had recently, peace begins in the playground. I think that's something that's very important to, to share. I wanted to ask you more about, about that. Yeah, because uh, kids, you know, I mean, they, they can be cruel. <laughs> they can be very cruel. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and some can be, you know, I mean, uh, you know, they have to, uh, they have to learn. This is where you learn, you know, the schools. I mean, they're basically social, you know, uh, factories for for, 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 you know, human beings to get to well know said. how to, um, uh, you know, get on in life and how to survive. You know, how do you survive that teacher who really wants me to, and I can't learn this thing, you know, but, and this guy wants what I've got in my, you know, lunchbox. Um, there's so many things going on. It's, it's the kernel, you know, of, of, um, of how we grow up and how we behave later. It's very important to teach, you know, teach kids how to get on at a very early age. Yeah, there's an unfortunate side effect, I think, of, of school, or at least of, you know, of the, you know, conformity factory, uh, to, to paraphrase what you said, is that it really does sort of, unfortunately for a time at least, train the individually individuality out of children, I think, just to be able to kind of make it through. And a movie that I watched as a kid that really meant a lot to me was, in fact, Harold and Maude, which I just learned uh, yesterday. Uh, the soundtrack is being uh, made available for its first wide release, I, I believe, ever, which is wonderful. That that film has meant so much to, to so many, including myself, over the years. How did you you first get involved with uh, with Hal Ashby, the director? Um, it was through my manager, and he kind of um, he was given a copy of the book uh, by Colin Higgins, um, and they were making a film of it in Paramount and. Uh, and he, he, he gave it to me and said, look, you know, they're looking for the music for this film. You know, read this. I said, okay. You know, and I did. And, and that was the beginning. Of course, I loved the book. I, there's that dark sense of humor, you know, that I, I kind of associated uh, with um, playing tricks. You know, I, I love doing things like that. So um, it was great. It's such a beautiful um, story. And then I found out that Hal had already more or less fallen in love with all my music and got my two records, Manabon Jacken and Tifa Tillam, more or less, you know, sunk in sync with what he was doing uh, on the film. And um, so I would say, well, that's great. You know, then uh, I sort of just went with it. Um, I went over and, um, you know, I met him and it was during the filming in um, San Francisco, you know, with Ruth Gordon and Bud Court. It was great. It was a great time and a great uh what a movie what a movie you know and what a time to make a movie he was one of the beginnings of that kind of new wave i mean you know look at wes anderson today and he wouldn't be who he is without hal ashby i was reading the uh the press release for the the herald mod soundtrack and it included a description uh that i really enjoyed the film represents 
the potentially glorious benefits that can arise from a partnership between the balanced conservative pragmatism and colorful, free-spirited idealism. And reading that, I thought it could almost be an apt description for you. Do you feel that in any way that you have a herald and a mod within you that are kind of in a in a in a dance that make you um, and that, that who you are and inform your 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 work and your outlook? Um, yeah, you don't have to look too far. I mean, my father was from Cyprus. My mother was from Sweden. You know, and I'm the product of the, of that incredible fusion of of you know, different cultures, um, and uh, and so this balance of con- of calmness, coolness, uh, conservatism, and the, the heat, Mediterranean, you know, energy, fury, um, all these things kind of take place <laughs> within my DNA somewhere. So, so, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I'm half Sicilian and half Eastern European, so I, I, can, I can relate. <laughs> there you are. You know, you know what it's like to sit in the snow, and you know what it's like to get burnt in the sun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the thing that I'm, I'm so excited about all these incredible uh, reissue sets that have, have been coming out the last few years is that it really is reintroducing your music to a whole new generation of fans. Is there a message that you would like somebody first discovering your music to take away from it? I think it's within the, um, the, the ambience of the film Harold and Maud. It's to do with, you know, not being... Not being uh, predictable, and allowing yourself to go beyond other people's expectations of you and even beyond your own expectation because you may not even know your own potential. So I think, you know, it is reaching out for the stars and and they're not that far away. And you might be one of them. Well, that is an absolutely beautiful note to end on. Yusuf, thank you so much for your time today and, and most importantly your music is a huge honor thank you so much we hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside the Studio a production of iHeartRadio for more episodes of Inside the Studio or other fantastic shows check out the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.